Welcome to Apartment 309 Podcast, the one-sided storytelling podcast where I dive into true crime or the paranormal and tell it to my captive audience boyfriend while he reacts occasionally, basically just recording part of our normal day. I'm Lauren. And I'm Eric. And we live in in Apartment apartment 309. spooky that's what i was going for you did say we were supposed to get spooky we're getting spooky it's getting spooks <laughs> i'm gonna change the size of this because i'm blind how are you doing today i am the most tired i have ever been it's a little different we're doing a monday recording yes we are we don't ever do that we don't because i am tired it's monday everybody's tired on monday i'm already tired tomorrow the most tired i've been all week yeah I got roasted like a, like a, I don't know, like a Christmas ham <laughs> at the pool. Like a Christmas ham. I like that. <laughs> yes, you did. You went out there. You were like, I'm going to even out my tan. And I was like, okay. I evened it out. You you did. Yeah. Just burned it right off. I am roasted every part of my body. <laughs> well, your favorite color is red, so winning. Yeah. I'm going to be straight brown here soon. Nice. Look at that. Look at it. Yeah. Everybody this morning was like, whoa, you are way dark. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the darkest I think I've ever seen your skin. Yeah. It feels good. It burns good. Well, yeah. I mean, you're more inclined to it. I th- I mean, I smell the sun come out in the morning and I get sunburnt. What's the sun smell like? Burnt skin. What? I'm just... <laughs> No idea. <laughs> that's not the that sun. Really that's the skin. Weird way to word that. Yeah, I guess sunburns do have kind of a unique smell to them, don't they? What? I think they do. They have a unique feel. A smell. There's a smell associated. Maybe it's psychological. I, I, I mean, I don't know. It's it's dead skin cells. It's burnt flesh, cooked. It's literally a radiation burn. So it makes sense if it had a smell. That's really gross to think about. Well, I guess I only smell like aloe right now. Like how you lifted your shirt to get a good whiff. (laughs) Breathe it in, Gibbs. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. So, sometimes we pick up things that have happened across us in the news. And today, I have a whole series of events. It's this whole network of events that have happened that I heard about. And I'm wondering... Have you heard about the morgue that was selling off body parts and then shipping them around the country? I feel like I've heard a similar story more than once. Okay. Well, this one was like breaking news. Like people were being outed last month and this month. Oh, okay. No, I haven't heard about it that recently. Yeah, it's national and now it's international news. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we have one couple. It's Cedric and Denise Lodge. They're from New Hampshire. And there's another woman, Candace Scott, who's from Arkansas. All three of them have been shipping out body parts, what was originally told to us as nationally, and now it's gone international. I don't know much about the international part, but as far as nationally goes, as the FBI is tracking these people down and then charging them and arresting them, they're releasing their names. There's, it, it's wild. It gets wild. So the lodges... I believe Cedric is part of Harvard Medical School, or at least graduated from there. 
he may or may not have been working with them. I didn't write that down. I just Harvard Medical School was somehow involved with the Lodge couple. So they're selling body parts, which included whole heads, brains, skin, and bones to collectors, and they were doing it over Facebook Marketplace. Oh, I did hear that. I heard that part. Yeah. Yeah. That's horrible. One of their buyers, it turns out, is a woman who owns a store, and I've heard of her store before. I think on some kind of a Halloween documentary, something, it's called Cat's Creepy Creations, and it's in Massachusetts. (laughs) Her name is Katrina McLean, and she advertised her store online as being a curator of creepy dolls, oddities, and bone art. So to me, and I think most of us, I would assume it's one of those crazy, gothic, dusty stores, a little hole in the wall with her creepy doll collection, old dusty dolls and art pieces made with animal bones. Typically, you'll see like birds or squirrels, rats, mice, whatever. They take those bones, they cure them, and they make them into art installations, which I think is, you know, pretty cool. There's usually some like haunting backstory behind it, too. But to her, it meant Venmoing a guy for the skin of two faces. So she purchased just the skin, two faces, from dead bodies for $600. Leatherface style. Exactly. So her intent was to tan the skin and make human leather from it. That's disgusting. People's faces. Another buyer was Joshua Taylor, who's from Pennsylvania. This man spent $37 thousand dollars on body parts which included a payment that he labeled head number seven for a thousand dollars and then another two hundred dollar payment he labeled brains (laughs) that is so creepy over i mean with like the extra letters in there too yeah how long did it take him to crack this case when they're just like selling it over facebook marketplace yeah okay facebook is it's the new craigslist that's (laughs) insane there's a back page of craigslist hey don't be mean to the morgue people selling body parts yeah like they're just out of here bigot they're business people doing business things (laughs) like leave (laughs) them alone and then they're venmoing could you imagine being at venmo i mean they must have the memo line filled out with just weird things sometimes but head number seven right what i mean i just okay that could mean several things but it could it could lucky number seven though did right. not mean anything other than exactly what the man was very literal in his memo i mean for tax purposes you gotta be for tax purposes you gotta yeah. keep track of these things man it's 37 grand later <laughs> right Jesus. wow 200 dollars for brains i wonder if that was the whole brain it better be that's i mean that whoever's brain that was abby normal oh my god you know i never did finish that movie i know that's a shame it I is. just aged myself with that reference. We'll Everybody see how many people loves get that. A Gene Wilder. Yep. <laughs> All right. So another buyer, Jeremy Polly of Pennsylvania, he was buying from Candace Scott. So she's a lady from Arkansas, and she worked at a mortuary. Polly, he seemed more like a middleman the way it was presented in the articles that I read. Okay. So he was selling what he was getting. So he would pick and choose what he wanted from Candace. And then he would sell it to other collectors. I'm not quite sure if Polly was selling them internationally or, or just keeping them local, but he was for sure selling within the country. Now, one of the people that he was selling to was named, his name is Matthew Lampy, and he's in Minnesota. 
So there, it seemed like all over the place. And they are linking each of them through transactions that were just so brazen. It wasn't even a dark alley corner. It was just straight up head number seven on Venmo. Yeah, not hard to trace that. Yeah, so there's definitely some people who are sitting at home right now sweating. (laughs) They're just waiting for it. Candace, the mortician, she's known to have stolen, and just a, a trigger warning, this one's hard to hear. If you would like to, maybe just jump forward 15, 20 seconds. So Candace is known to have stolen the corpses of two stillborn infants uh, that were meant to have been cremated and returned to their families. Oh, it's terrible. It's, I, I do not know how this woman sleeps at night. I, I truly don't. So the last buyer that I know about that I looked into, his name is James Knott. He's from Mount Washington, Kentucky. He purchased body parts from both Candace and the Lodges. He had more than 40 pieces that he'd collected, which included human skulls, spinal cords, femurs, and hip bones. They were all stored in his one-bedroom apartment, and he was using them as decorations. Brilliant. I would not want to be his neighbor. It sounded like one of those quadplexes, so he was in unit number three. Oh, wow. They gave the unit he was in and everything, huh? Yeah, because the FBI came and kicked in his front door and then interviewed his neighbors. So which one was it? (laughs) Right. (laughs) That one. Is it the guy whose door you kicked in? (laughs) So when they asked if if he was alone inside his apartment or if he had anybody else in there, he answered, only my dead friends. And he was referring to his skull collection. And his pseudonym that he was purchasing and selling the parts with online was the name of a Scottish serial killer, William Burke, who started off his killing spree by being paid to bring bodies for dissection to medical students around the year 1828. And now we can cover them on a later episode, but basically it was Burke and then his partner, William Hare. They were body snatchers turned killers. They were just trying to make an easy buck off of collecting fresh corpses to send over to medical schools. And the medical schools were kind of turning a blind eye as to who and how and what was being brought in. As long as it was dead and wasn't obliterated, they accepted it and paid them. But we'll get into them on a different day. So that is who this guy was role-playing, just living in his apartment in Kentucky. Wow, that's impressive. You know, they say these days it's hard to make friends, but he was hoarding them all to himself, apparently. (laughs) Forty of them. Yeah. Yeah, they they said that he'd put, like, a hat or a scarf on one of them and, like, glasses. Like, he was just, dude was just vibing with (laughs) his skull collection. If you're going to do it. Do you know how upset I would be if I found out that the ashes that they gave us for my brother was not actually my brother, and he was just sitting in somebody's apartment, like, being used as a soup bowl? That would be terrible. I cannot even imagine. I am so sorry to all those families. Anyway, all of Knott's neighbors considered him odd and a loner. Nobody really knew him. They just knew he lived there. They didn't really have anything to offer. The FBI are using tips, uh, which is how they found out this whole ring was going on in the first place. Somebody had tipped them off about the lodges, and I think they were then linked to Candace, and it's just a spider web of people. Okay. Pretty lucrative business, apparently. Sounds like it. 
They're digging through records from Facebook communications, payments through PayPal, Venmo, and all I could think of is if you were friends with Candace, because she had a life outside of this, you know, and sometimes, you know, if a friend spots you for dinner and you just Venmo them back <laughs> and you just put something stupid, like the number of times I've seen on Venmo, somebody put something stupid, but it's like, what if she took you out to dinner and you're like, liver and onions with the bestie, <laughs> and like FBI comes kicking in your door, new leather purse, thanks girl. <laughs> leather purse, yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, so what I wrote down is you're probably going to get a meeting from some of our country's elite here shortly. <laughs> that makes sense. Welcome to the crime club. We do crime. <laughs> anyway, that's that's that story. That is still unfolding. I'm curious to see where that goes. Right. Sometimes if they're actually investigating stuff, way more doors are kicked in, you know? Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind, even with that one guy spending 37 grand, that was one guy that was willing to spend that much money. This has to spider out pretty big. Oh, yeah. Pretty, pretty big. And we've only got a handful of names right now. The sad thing is, though, that there's almost guaranteed that there's some leads they're not going to follow up on, you know, because those types of scenarios are notorious for having to do with Medical facilities, experimental facilities. Yeah. That body works d exhibit was accused of acquiring bodies in not such a nice way. Yeah. Really? Yeah. A lot of them were, I mean, obviously lots of people donate their body to science, but yeah, I did. I, I remember hearing about that, that they might have acquired a lot of their bodies, unsavory means. And then there's those stories about the military doing experiments on. You know, yeah, that one place, I think it was in New Mexico or Arizona. Yeah, freshly deceased people for explosives and... Yeah. Testing. It was for testing purposes, Eric. Right. All of this is alleged. It is still an open case. They are still undergoing investigations. We are relaying information as they give it to us, and sometimes that information can be wrong. So just keep all of that in mind. If you know any of those people, if you have any you know, personal relation to what's going on, feel free to let us know if you know something different. You can Is always it? email us at apartment309podcast at gmail.com. If you need to correct us, do so. We will gladly be open to correct information. Whistleblowers welcome. Always. Everything is alleged. Alleged. When people have uh, fascinations or they just have too much money, Right. Life gets pretty boring pretty quick unless you find ways to make it exciting for yourself. Yeah, 100%. If you have 37,000 cold ones just sitting around. I know. Like, we all have priorities. I would not prioritize my funds towards that. Cause he's, yeah, because we ain't got 37 extra big ones just sitting around. I know. You know what I've been thinking about picking up? A bunch of dead body parts. I would like a skull. Let me surf Facebook mar Marketplace real quick. I don't think body parts is one of the categories that you can search for. What do you look up? I wonder what they had the listings under. Right. There's probably some code language that we know nothing about. A hundred percent. Yeah. And then dude was, was just like head number seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not trying to dress it it's up like, at all. Dang it, Jeremy. Use the code. <laughs> right. Idiot. It's how you get caught. <laughs> Dummy. Anyway. Jeremy. Lesson learned. Life goes on. What do you got for us today, Lauren? 
So today, I have a story filled with terror from the work of Unseen Forces, and it was requested by one of our listeners. Okay. Huge shout out and a major thank you to listener Patty. Hey. (laughs) Hey, girl. Hey. (laughs) This one was a doozy. I started off and I just kept writing and writing and writing. And seven pages later, we are going to do not just today's episode, but we're going to do our next episode about it as well. What? Our first two-parter. Second part. Hey, yo. It was just way too much information to fit into one 45-minute-ish episode. It got pretty wild pretty quick. Join me as we kick off part one. Part one. Of The Ammon's Haunting. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Spooky. Spook. Spooky dookie. All right. We head to Gary, Indiana, the city of the century. That's their slogan. Oh, is it? City of the century. Founded in 1906 by Albert H. Gary. He was a lawyer, he was an industrialist. He established the town, and the town itself is almost like a ghost from the past. So not just what happened in it, but it's filled with dilapidated buildings. Most of them are closed businesses. Downtown boasts a lot of broken windows. It's got several defunct stoplights, which are just, they threw a stop sign in front of it and hit the power off. And what I considered long-abandoned dreams They still have the original cinema up, so it's got the whole marquee, and it's still got posters in it, but it's it's clearly been closed for quite some time. Kind of depressing. I'd like to visit. Actually, that sounds pretty cool. So you're saying it's the city of the last century? (laughs) The city of not this century. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, there's still quite a few people left, though, and I will say the neighborhoods there have just really beautiful houses. A lot of well-manicured lawns. The people that still live in Gary clearly care about where they live. Don't they mention Gary, Indiana and Parks and Rec a lot? I don't know. I don't really watch that show. Larry. I think it's from Gary. I can't answer that. And then they start calling him Gary. I love that show. Okay. What's going on in Gary, Indiana? All right. So within a cluster of houses, so one of the nice, cute little neighborhoods that they still have, once sat a single building That would eventually become a household name, and not for the reasons that Albert H. Gary had intended. LaToya Ammons moved into a home on Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana, with her three young children and her mother, Rosa Campbell, back in 2011. They unpacked and settled into their beautiful one-story rental home that looked just like any other on the block. With a well-kept lawn, fresh paint, and a bright outlook on life, the small family was doing just fine. It was November in Indiana when they moved, which meant cold winds and snow. The Ammons family all immediately noticed swarms of large black flies that would gather on their screened-in porch. Now, bugs, they don't do well in cold climates, as they themselves are cold-blooded. They rely on the sun and ambient heat to move. So the Ammons were all very confused as to where the flies were, one, coming from, and two, how are they even flying around? It was way too cold for bugs to be active at that time. It's screened in. There's nothing blocking them from the wind. No matter how many times LaToya or Rosa went out to clear and kill them, a new swarm would form, taking over the front porch 
again and again and again. Rosa started hearing footsteps that she located in the basement. It had a cement floor, creaky wooden steps, and the family did not regularly use it. There was a door off the kitchen to those stairs, and there's just nothing down there for the family to really use. They just stayed on the main floor. So she also claims to have seen what she called a shadowy figure of a man pacing the living room. And then she would find wet boot prints across the living room floor, which seemed to have been left behind it. So the kids, the three kids, their ages 7, 9, and 12, they all started experiencing odd things as well. The Ammon's oldest daughter, the 12-year-old, was asleep in her bed on March 10, 2012. So they moved in November, and then a few months later, March 10, 2012, when she started levitating. Her body rose off the bed a few feet, and it held still in the air, unmoving. The Ammons were all gathered mourning the unrelated death of a loved one, and they had visitors over that night, which included another young girl who was sleeping in the 12-year-old's bedroom. They were having a little sleepover while the adults talked in the living room. And that's who sounded the alarm, which brought the adults running. The family themselves are religious. They believe in God and the devil. So mother and grandmother and several of the unnamed participants prayed over the 12-year-old as she was levitating over her bed until they say she was finally lowered back to, down to the mattress. They Yikes. woke her up at that point as she'd been asleep or unconscious the whole time, and she had no recollection of the entire event. She went up, went down, woke up, was like, what's all the fuss about? Now, I, I don't know how the friend felt at that point, but there is no way in hell I would be going back to sleep in that room with her. Yeah, it might be taken off after that. I'd be like, okay, party's over. You guys are done. I'm out. Let's go. Yeah, it's a little wild. Yeah, that's wet the bed wild. Like, I would not. <laughs> no, thank you. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. I'm out. <laughs> Latoya and Rosa decided to call some of the local churches for help at this point because they're like, something's off. Something's awful. We're hearing stuff. Now we're seeing stuff. And now one of us is is levitating. So they explained what was going on. Most of the churches just flat out refused to help, hung up on them. One actually suggested disinfecting the house with bleach and ammonia and then rubbing oil on all the doors and windows in the shape of a crucifix. And the same church also told Latoya to rub olive oil on her kids' feet and her foreheads, again in the shape of a crucifix, just for good measure. Which is like, cool. Oh, for good measure, of course. Right? It's that one volunteer that sat up at the front desk. She's just kind of spitballing ideas at her. She's, you know, she's trying to flag somebody down to help her. And they're all like, now we're good. <laughs> like, you got this one, she's queen. Like, just in case. <laughs> you have bleach and olive oil. Yeah, like, here's what I use at my home. <laughs> bleach. Good for everything. <laughs> she's, oh, you don't have anointed oil? Olive. Go with the olive. There's <laughs> a good substitute. Avocado? No. Olive? Yes. Right. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Latoya, I mean, she's on the phone with this, this person. Everybody else is hung up on her and she's got her kids running around in the background, you know, puking green everywhere. So she's grasping at straws here, trying to trying to get some help. So she does that. So when that doesn't work, she calls a couple of clairvoyants. She was desperate at this point. Her religious establishment has turn their back on her. So she goes to a clairvoyant who then tells her that the house is overrun with demons. 200 demons. Oh, that's a lot of demons. And she 
talks to a couple clairvoyants, and two of them come back with the same answer. House is overrun with 200 demons. Grandma Rosa and Mother Latoya took their advice. Well, Latoya and one of her friends, um, unnamed again, wrapped themselves in white t-shirts and then white shawls or ripped up t-shirts over their heads, kind of like put out a robe on, and they go and make an altar in the basement. On the little shelf that they put down there, they put a white candle, they put statues of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, and then they opened a Bible to Psalm 91. The clairvoyants also told her on top of putting the altar in the basement and what to put on it, to burn sage and sulfur around the house. Now, I've heard of burning sage to help clear, and there's actually some medicinal properties to it as well, but to help clear spirits, unwanted or evil spirits in your home. I had never heard of burning sulfur, so I looked it up, and apparently it can help with pest control and ridding your house of mites and fungus, but it can be really toxic if inhaled, potentially deadly. Yes. Well, these two women walked around that house It was so thick in the air, they said they couldn't barely see or breathe. That's not good for you. No, it's not. If you guys are going to do this on your own, I suggest looking into it. Google it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you've got to have ventilation, um, both for the process and for your own health and safety. Talk to your doctor what's right for you. May cause (laughs) diarrhea. Ask your doctor about burning sulfur. (laughs) He'll probably look at you weird and send you home with a different type of medication. Right. Not for everyone. <laughs> anyway, so I also looked up because I was like, why specifically Psalm 91? And I took just a portion of that. So Psalm 91 verses 3 through 6. And they read, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. So essentially just saying you're protected morning, day, and night. Powerful. So things were fine for a few days after that. They actually stopped for about three days. And then, boom, day four ramped up massively. All three kids started showing at different times that they might be possessed, or at least that's what LaToya and Rosa called it. Their eyes would bug out. They would just sit there staring at you while smiling in these really creepy smiles. Do you remember the movie that I made you rent for me? Smile? Yeah. Yeah, because we kept putting it off, putting it off till it was free, and I was finally like, just buy it. (laughs) So the movie smile type of smiles is what you're thinking. Smile, yeah, where it's just, it follows, basically, but it smiles. It Follows is also a really good movie. If y'all haven't seen either one of those, Smile and It Follows, you should. They are mind benders and horrifying, and you might lose sleep. Spoiler alert, there's a lot of smile smiling going on and smile don't give it away it's it happened (sighs) eric always gives movies away to you guys (laughs) so the kids are doing that the smile eyes are bugging out of their heads doors are opening and closing around the house specifically the basement door that was in the kitchen grandma rosa said that she was choked at one point by an unseen force when she was alone the youngest child 
made friends with an invisible boy and the family would regularly see him talking to what he called a boy, but they couldn't see it. The oldest got knocked upside the head with a bed frame. The, the headboard just conk and it sent her to the hospital for stitches. Don't know if it went flying in the air or if it got knocked over. I have no idea how that happened. But the middle child described what it felt like to die in like epic detail. Hmm. And I don't know. Again, the events surrounding that. If he was just sitting there at the dinner table and just decided to tell everybody the process of dying and what it was like to experience it. But that's what it sounded like. Well, the daughter, again, she's 12, goes and tells her therapist that sometimes she would be held down and choked by an invisible force while asleep in bed. And she was being told that she was going to die. Creepy. I think they said the the voice told her, you have 20 minutes and then you're going to die. <laughs> 20 minutes. 20 minutes. I almost said a bad word, but I felt like that would be inappropriate at that point in time. Okay, so fed up and out of options, LaToya talked to the family doctor about what was happening. She went to the doctor in April. It started at the beginning of March. He comes over to see what all this hubbub is, is about. I don't know how to pronounce this man's name, but we're going to try it. It's Dr. Jeffrey Onyuku. Onyuku. We're going to go with that. We're going to call him Dr. The good doctor and some of his staff witnessed these shenanigans firsthand. He later answered a few questions in an interview, claiming that he was scared when he entered the home. He didn't know why. It was just that instinctual, animalistic, bad feeling when he entered the home. And he had never seen anything like what he saw while he was in there in his 20 years of practicing medicine. First time for everything. He refused to say what it was that he saw or really describe anything further without a signed confidentiality waiver from LaToya. She is the guardian over the children. It is her home and he is a, a medical professional. So take from that what you will. <laughs> but what we do have documented from the visit is this. The boys cursed the doctor. They were screaming at him in deep, unnatural, described as demonic voices. Then the youngest boy was, quote, lifted and thrown into the wall with nobody touching him. Just picked up and whoosh, across the room. So, of okay. course, at that point, some of the staff that were with the doctor, uh, but they didn't say who it was. Some of the staff that came with the doctor called the police for intervention. Within minutes, they've got eight officers and multiple ambulances showing up to the house, all parked, running in, seeing what was the issue. None of those professionals could explain what had happened. None of the staff could actually explain what had happened. We just had one boy who got knocked out after he got thrown against the wall. And then at the same time, the other brother, uh, so the two youngest, passed out. The family was loaded up into the ambulances and taken to Methodist Hospital. Both of the boys had remained unconscious for the ride over, but then woke up when they did get to the hospital. The middle child, the oldest brother, he woke up and was fine, lucid, rational. But the youngest starts thrashing and screaming, just going batshit. Uh-oh. And it took five hospital staff to hold him down. Five. The Department of Child Services, referred to as DCS from here on out, was asked to open an official investigation into possible child neglect or abuse. The hospital was like, oh, we don't know what the fuck to do with any of this. You guys are crazy. Got DCS involved. 
they concluded that the kids were all putting on basically like a sideshow act, either at the request of their mother or to try to help support and protect her. Maybe she was having delusions and they were trying to support and love on their mom. Sure. But the hospital staff and DCS all called it a performance. None of them, though, could find any bruises or marks that would signify any kind of neglect or abuse on the children. And the mom was found to be of sound mind from everyone she talked to, including, you know, grandma was also. Nobody could find anything wrong physically with the kids or mentally with the adults. The Gary police captain, Charles Austin, was introduced to the family at this point, and he kind of came in with the preconceived notion that the family had made the whole thing up, trying to get sympathy or maybe funds from neighbors and strangers. Hmm. <clears throat> okay. So while at the hospital, the youngest boy starts growling. He's baring his teeth. He's rolling his eyes back in his head. He's laying on the bed, and all of a sudden, he's just kind of... He jumps off his bed, jumps onto his brother, and attempts to strangle him. Just death grip on his arms. Remember, it took five staff members to hold him down earlier. It took multiple staff members to come over and literally pry this kid's hands off of his brother's neck. Strong little demon child hands. Demon possessed child. Right. So the staff intervene. They finally pry him off. DCS and hospital staff are now interviewing the family while they're there at the hospital. They separated the family enough to be able to try to to make sure they got not crossover stories, but actual answers from each individual themselves. During the boys' interviews, the youngest growled again to the person who was interviewing him and stated, time to die at one point, and then at another point said, I will kill you. Whoa, dude. I know. Calm down, man. A little crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've had seven-year-olds say that to me, but that's <laughs> after they're like jacked up on candy and they're little jerks. That's why I don't babysit. <laughs> I can I'd, I can safely say I've never had a seven-year-old tell me I was going to die. They might have like, thought it. Right. <laughs> they might have thought it. Well, they come up and they're like in their head, they're still playing whatever game it was they were playing with their action heroes. And it's like, you're going to die. <laughs> Anyway, he didn't say it like that. He was making that dead-faced eye contact while growling. I would have shit my pants. Yes. Shadoodled. While he's doing this, the interviewer looks over and witnesses the older boy headbutting his grandmother in the stomach. Just wham, 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 wham. So grandma grabs the, the nine-year-old's hands and starts praying over him as he's headbutting her. Now, the report from the DCS agent had this written down in detail in it, and it was also witnessed by a nurse named Nurse Walker, who was part of the Methodist Hospital. The nine-year-old is described as having a weird grin, walked backwards up the wall, across the ceiling, and then flipped over his grandmother, landing on his feet, never letting go of her hands. Nurse Walker stated there's no way he could have done that. And Walker remained firm when making his statements to the police, confirming that the boy did not run for momentum. That was This was not a, a acrobatic event. He had walked slowly. He had been making eye contact. 
and he all he, it was almost like he was gliding backwards across the floor, up the wall, then the ceiling, before flipping and then landing gracefully on the ground. Gracefully. And I saw something, um, this is just off the cuff here, but I saw a, like a reenactment of it. And it was my understanding that they tried to see if if there was a way for him to have maybe held himself up by using his grandma's hands as leverage to kind of use the pressure to walk himself backwards up the wall. Kids do weird stuff. They, they'll like walk up your legs and jump off them. And they wanted to see if there's some way they could try to pull that off. And they couldn't, not from the angle or the way he was holding his grandma's hands. And the fact that she was a little bit more elderly, you know, she wouldn't have been able to support a nine-year-old doing that. Huh, okay. Yeah. Nurse Walker and the DCS agent who was interviewing the kids booked it out of the room. They left the kids with grandma in there. They were like, nope, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Get the old lady out of there. GTFO. Yeah, she was staying with her kids because the kids, so- They're saying the kids are being possessed by demons, and the kids again go unconscious after that happens. It was absolute chaos in that hospital room. They left. The police are invited. I mean, it was just, it was chaos. LaToya, Rosa, they're both like, look, the kids are being on and off possessed. LaToya is saying, I myself am becoming possessed at times. And the best way she could describe it was like losing control of her body. She said that it was a weak feeling that she would become lightheaded and then almost warm. She would lose control of herself, but she felt that it was something that was paranormal, not a physical reaction or response like a heart murmur or something. You know, it was, it felt like something possessed her. And Rosa says that the demons didn't and couldn't affect her due to her being born with a guardian who protects her. And she says there's other people like her out there But her specifically, she can't be touched. Okay. But in the wake of what had happened in the hospital, DCS decided to move forward with the process of removing the children from the home. You know, they felt that the the kids were putting on an act to support their mother's delusion. And now there's crazy things that cannot be reasoned with. And it was was out of control. So this left LaToya and Rosa on their own with no answers, and basically nowhere to go. They were stuck. They're not financially able to move from the house that they now apparently shared with demons. The kids are walking up walls. They're getting thrown during invisible attacks. They're beating up on their grandma. Child services is moving forward with ripping the family apart. I mean, it was a, it was a pretty dire situation. And we will continue in the next episode of this two-part story where we will discuss what happens when a reverend, a cop, and a demon walk into a haunted basement. Oh, no. Cliffhanger. Yeah. (laughs) Tune in for part two. What happens? I don't know. (laughs) It's a real nail biter. Uh, There's probably a medication for that. Sulfur. Yeah. Dip your fingers in sulfur. This is bad tasting stuff that that my parents used to put on my thumb so I wouldn't suck it. I just switched thumbs. (laughs) Literally. They had to do that for my brother. They tried the hot sauce, but they put the bitter stuff on it and he ended up like enjoying the taste. Oh. Yeah, I know. Gross. Do you ever stop? You haven't stopped. You bite your skin now. Yep. I have to start outsourcing the skin on Facebook Marketplace. Ew. <laughs> oh God! Getting you some just different chew skin. Buy a finger. 
chewing skin. <laughs> I can't. Oh my god, I can't. Oh, that's disgusting. Kind of reminds me, you know those like uh, chew tobacco tins, but they're like for shut up. Like they're the jerky. Shut you know they have up. like jerky in them instead of tobacco. Oh my god. Kind of the same thing if you really think about it. What 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 could you call it? Candace's chewing jerky. <laughs> Old Jim Bob's chewing skins. Oh my god. <laughs> Ugh, skin pouches. <laughs> When you, when your fingers are too raw, right. <laughs> borrow someone else's. We skin them, you chew them. <laughs> God, <laughs> all for the low, low price of twenty dollars. Venmo us. <laughs> yeah, Venmo us today. Oh, uh, you can find us on Facebook Marketplace and the back page of Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, that's disgusting. Well. Thank you guys so much for joining us tonight in Apartment 309. We hope you'll catch us on the second half of this episode. In the meantime, please send us your stories. Whether it's your experience with the paranormal, true crime, alien encounters, chewing skins, you know, stuff like that. Chewing skins. Yeah, it's it's fun to do stories that people send us, so. Yeah. Keep them coming. We like ideas. We do. We do, we do. Indeed, our email again is apartment309podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram. Uh, don't forget to rate and review uh, wherever you're listening. Spotify, Apple, doesn't matter. We would like to know what you guys think. We really like five stars in a row rather than like four or three. Five stars, baby. Five stars going for gold. You can also write in at Solar Circle LLC Apartment 309 Podcast, P.O. Box 631-728, Highlands Ranch, Colorado, 80163. And we hope you join myself, Lauren. And Eric. Next time in a- an apartment, apartment 309. 309.